morning, Northbrook. Um, today's passage is Matthew 28, verses 16 to 20. If you don't have a copy of God's Word, um, please grab one from the back. We have these hardback Bibles. Uh, that's our gift to you. We'd love for you to uh, be able to follow along, not just here, but, but also, uh, also at home. Following the last few weeks, uh, we're going to be reading the Scripture in a different language as well as in English. So I'm going uh, to read the passage in Arabic, followed by English. وذهب الأحد أشرة تلمين إلى الجليل إلى الجبل الذي أخبرهم يسوع يذهب إلى وعندما روى سجدوا مع أنا كانت لدي عدم شكوك فتعدم يسوع اليوم وقال عاتلي كل سلطان في السماء ولا الأرض فذبه وذلمي و now the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. This is the word of the Lord. Well, good morning, Northbrook Church. Uh, Randy and Jake spent a week in Jordan, so they can interpret what was just said for you on the fly. Uh, I was sharing uh, earlier, I, I actually get stage fright when I come and speak before uh, folks, and I actually get more nervous doing sound check. So I still think the sound crew is doing hazing as they had me up here for like 10 minutes talking to myself as people were coming in and out. Uh, well, my name is Reed, and I'm one of the pastor elders here at Northbrook Church. It is a joy to be before you. And uh, on a personal note, for those of you that uh, are members here and have been coming for a while, you know that I've been serving as one of the founding elders and been a part with Jake and Randy and now Dustin, who's joined us as an elder here from the beginning. And preceding that, I was an elder over at the Village Church, one of our uh, sister churches, so a pastor elder volunteering. And uh, last December, I'd let Jake and Randy know, hey, I'm going to be coming. I think it's time for my family to have a, a break and want to prayerfully consider, you know, what does that look like with me rolling off for a season for however long that may be? And so we began praying together, and this will be my, actually my last Sunday as an elder for, for however long the Lord would see fit. And I just wanted to say it's been an absolute joy for me to serve you all. I know that uh, you all know Jake and Randy probably better than I do, and you see them more often up on stage, but it's been an absolute joy to serve as a volunteer elder. Alongside them as brothers, they're great friends and dear brothers, and alongside uh, for, and for this church. And so uh, I did tell Jake and Randy last 
December. I wanted to roll off while they still liked me and I still liked them. And so we, we chose a short, short timeline. Uh, you know, it's fitting as we, we pick up, for those of you that are visiting the last couple of weeks, uh, we've been doing a series on uh, being sent, having sentness, whether it's here in the neighborhoods or the nations, we're going to pick up and close that out today. Uh, it was fitting. I didn't know Jeremy was going to be reading in Arabic uh, earlier. Uh, just sharing a, a quick story as we, the elders, had gone and uh, did a cross-cultural trip to the Middle East a few weeks ago, as you know, uh, Randy picked up a little Arabic. And so, and one of the many drives that we had, and one of the many times Jake was sleeping in the back of the car, uh, Randy was asking about Arabic. I want to know about Arabic words. What would I do here, here and there? And I taught him uh, the word inshallah, which uh, we know is not just, uh, although it's an Arabic word, it's used in a lot of Muslim uh, cultures and contexts. And the literal translation of inshallah is if God, if the Lord wills it, if God wills. And it is used very much in that sense, if the Lord wills. You can be talking with someone and they'll tell you in Arabic, inshallah. And they literally mean, I plan on hoping that happens and it's all up to the Lord's sovereignty. There are other contextual understandings of that phrase, such as bukra, inshallah, which as Jeremy can tell you means tomorrow, if the Lord wills it. And the translation of that is probably not gonna happen. Um, or by Bukra, inshallah, which means the day after tomorrow, if the Lord wills, which means just turn out the lights. There's not a, there's not a chance it's happening. So we, we got back from our trip and I had put a bunch of the Northbrook trip expenses on my credit card just for simplicity's sake. And so Randy owes me a lot of money uh, through the church and I had messaged him when we got back. And in classic Rand, Randall Fuller form, he just said, inshallah. It's like, young Padawan, you've done well. So proud of you. So you, you learned everything you needed to know on that trip. Uh, and I, I, I open with a contextual uh, funny story as we uh, go back to the scriptures. And if I were to say here, um, if there's one thing I wanted you all to leave with today, it would be leaving with a sense and identity of sentness. Do you feel sent? Do you see yourselves as a sent one? And what does that mean according to the scriptures? And so I'm going to pick back up where uh, Jeremy read uh, in, out of Matthew 28 and said, and Jesus came, to, came and said to them, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations all nations there, pontata ethne, that's Greek for all ethno-linguistic people groups. That's what, that's what the disciples would have been hearing. Go therefore and make disciples of all ethno-linguistic people groups, baptizing them in the name of the Father, of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the very end of the, or to the end of the age. Um, it's interesting as we think about the Lord's heart for the nations, his desire for all peoples, tri uh, tribes, nations to come and know him. It's, uh, it's interesting to think about that through the lens of an American in a relatively young nation, just, you know, a couple, little over a couple hundred years old when there are nations that have been in existence for such a long time. And the Lord desires every tribe, every people, every tongue to come, come and know him. 
But I have found that sometimes it can be um, paralyzing or confusing uh, when we hear the words uh, that are extra biblical, that are meant to describe some phraseology or concept that's in the Bible, i.e. missions. We get the word missions from the Latin Vulgate, from the Latin translation. We get the word missions from there, but when you open up your, your Bible, you won't see the word missions here in Matthew chapter 20, 28. Um, and so you often hear, are you missional? Are we mission-led? Are we mission-driven? Are you on mission? Is our church on mission? Are you a missionary? Are we all missionaries? Uh, often you hear and different people responding in different ways and it can get a little confusing and all of a sudden there's this, well, that's for this group and this is for me. And so I'm gonna just step back from some of that vernacular for a bit and just dive into the text of, well, what does it mean for us to be a sent one? What are the implications of that? And so the question I'm going to ask us in discerning God's call is, are we all called to go? All of us, are we all called to go? I think the answer to that question, and I'm gonna show from the text, from several texts, is yes and no. What do I mean by that? Well, I'm gonna start with uh, an excerpt from a guy who was a pastor. He didn't serve as a missionary, which we'll define in a second. That was a pastor. And I'm gonna share with you what he said in one of his sermons and many of you know him. Uh, his name is Charles Spurgeon, who was an English pastor. This is what he said. Every Christian here is either a missionary or an imposter. Recollect that. You either try to spread abroad the kingdom of Christ or else you do not love him at all. It cannot be that there is a high appreciation of Jesus and a totally silent tongue about him. Of course, I do not mean by that, that those who use the pen are silent, they are not. And those that help others to use the tongue or spread that which others have written are doing their part well. But that a man who says, I believe in Jesus, but does not think enough of Jesus ever to tell another about him by mouth or pen or tract is an imposter. It's by Charles Spurgeon. And when I read that, it's like, well, I, I individually already feel some guilt from not being as evangelistic or sharing my faith on a daily or weekly basis as I would like. The truth is the Lord doesn't welcome us into a new set of laws and want to guilt us into doing things that the Holy Spirit calls us to obedience and repentance and convicts us so that we will follow him. And I'm going to dive into a, back into the text of, well, the question of, are we all called to go? That's the question. I said earlier, yes and no. What, am I, what do I mean by yes? I'm gonna turn to John chapter 20, verses 19 through 21. And this is shortly after the resurrection. Verse 19 says, on the evening of that day, the first day of the week, the doors being locked where the disciples were for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them and said to them, peace be with you. When he, had, when he had said this, he showed them his hands in the side. Then the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. And Jesus said to them again, peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. We learn from the text here that we are all sent ones, all of us. 
Every single one of us, when we leave today, we should be viewing ourselves as being sent ones, just as the Father sent Jesus. Jesus tells us he is sending us. He didn't say only if you're going to this place or only if you're going to do this thing. All of his followers have an identity of being a sent one. Jesus is both sent and the sender. And the main point here is that God sends and that we are also sent. As I said earlier, it's not a new law for us to obey and we've got to tick boxes. It's the identity literally of how Jesus views us. The Father sent him and now he is sending us. And there's numerous other texts where this occurs. And so back to the question of, are we all called? Yes, in the sense, we are all sent ones. Uh, Unless you're from Saginaw, and then Jake and Randy are the only two human beings I've ever met from Saginaw. Unless you are from Saginaw, okay, we've got a third, fourth, I'm going to stop there. Um, Unless you're from Saginaw, you, you have found yourself here from somewhere else. I'm from the metropolis of Canyon, Texas. It's a big place. South of Amarillo. I I grew up, uh, my wife, Edna, uh, who couldn't be here because we had a kiddo that had to stay back. She often jokes that the town I grew up in is like Sandlot, 1950s Americana. You know, all the kids are playing outside. The streetlights come on. That's when everyone comes home. She loves, and she's from Dallas. She loves going back to Canyon. I am not from Heritage, suburban, North Fort Worth, uh, Texas. Somehow, some way in God's sovereign design, he saw fit that I would be here for however long he would choose. And the same is for each of you in each of your stories, whether you come from another city, another state, another country, by his design, he has sent you and is sending you to be on mission with him in partnership. Um, So the answer to, are we all called to go? Yes, in the sense that we are all being sent by Jesus wherever we are. And to look at ourselves is that way. The other part of that answer is, well, no, we have biblical evidence that there are some that are called and set apart and sent to a specific place or a specific people to do a specific task for the gospel to go forth. And we see a blueprint of that, and we would call that missions or missionaries, the vernacular we use in English. And we see a blueprint of that for in the, in the book of Acts chapter 13 at the church at Antioch. So I want us, as I read the church in Antioch, I just want you to envision what this would look like at Northbrook. And here, what I believe is the blueprint for the sending out of some of our our people for a specific place or a specific people or a specific city for the gospel to go out. Verse two, chapter 13 of Acts. While they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. Then after fasting and praying, they laid their hands on them and sent them off. We see this example several times in the book of Acts and throughout the scriptures. Here you have the local church, really the prototype, the blueprint of, well, what does it look like? Is it biblical for a church to send out missionaries? Well, it seems so here in the text of Acts 13, 2 and 3, that God's design for the church was through the work of the Holy Spirit. And it doesn't tell us how all this happened, 
But they're worshiping together. They're worshiping, and through the work of the Holy Spirit, it, it, you know, it seems like, oh, that wasn't, we're a Baptist church, that's not for us. It's like, well, that's what happened at the church of Antioch. They're worshiping, and we, we find out that while they're worshiping through the Lord uh, and fasting, the Holy Spirit somehow sets apart specific people in the church that he has raised up to go on a specific mission to a specific place for the church in Antioch. This is the design of how God intends the church to raise, send, lay hands, and send off. And the question is, does he still do that? Will he do that at Northbrook? Will we be a church that is sending out people to the unreached and the unengaged? When we were in Jordan, uh, and some of you know this, my wife and I lived in the Middle East for close to a decade between different parts and seasons of our life. And uh, through an awesome delayed trip experience in Dallas, uh, I kept reminding myself, thank you, Jesus. I don't have all my kids with me. Um, and if you have flown and you've been delayed and had nine hour delays and rerouted and all that, it's one thing if it's just you, it's another thing if you've got all the kids with you, it's just like a totally different animal. You can walk through the airport and all of a sudden you just see like all the parents are at the bar and all the kids are just running all over the airport and you can be like long layover. Um, and so our, our trip got delayed. We got to Jordan in the wee hours of the night and driving the guys in Amman and it's dark out. And for those of you that have been uh, to parts of the Middle East, it's a night culture. And so there's all these green dots just littered all over the city through the rolling hills because Amman's a hilly place similar to Jerusalem. Um, all these green lights, they're just all over the city. And one of the guys on the trip said, what, what are all the green? I mean, they're just everywhere. And I shared, well, those are all the mosques. Um, there, there's lots of little local mosques and then you've got your, you know, your Prestonwood mosque and your gateway mosque and your little around the corner and your organic A29 type mosque. They're, they're all over the place and all of them seeking to know the truth. And it's weighty when you get off the plane from North Fort Worth and you see the lostness amongst the nations of people desiring truth, yet no one has told them what the truth is. And so uh, this is God's design for unreached peoples or people that don't know Jesus to come to know him. So as I think about, the, the initial question was, are we all called? The answer is yes in the sense we're all sent, and no in the sense uh, some of us, not all of us, but some of us are called to do that cross-culturally. And that's what we ultimately call a missionary. Um, if we go back to the original Latin, it's someone that's crossing uh, cult uh, cultural, linguistic, ethno barriers to deliver the gospel. And some of our people, some of you here will be called and raised up, Lord willing. Maybe some of our pastors will be called and raised up. Maybe some of our deacons maybe some of our community group leaders, some of you that are sitting in your chair that are from the Canyon, Texas of the world and are thinking, there is no way uh, I could see myself living somewhere else. I said the same thing when I came to faith in college and the Lord had different plans for me. What 
are the plans he would have for you. Do you ask the Lord? Do you beseech the Lord? Do you seek him on where he would have you? It's a question uh, that we should ask or a posture we should hold rather. So I'm gonna switch gears and let's say we're, we're building on this identity of being a sent one. Um, I think the question then switches to, well, what does it look like for us to become ascending church? For Northbrook to be a church that has a DNA that is sending people out. Um, the J.D. Greer, pastor out of the Raleigh-Durham area, I love this quote. I've heard him say this dozens of times. He says, wherever you do, do it well for the glory of God and do it somewhere strategic for the mission of God. I think that summarizes it great. It was interesting. After I came to faith, I, I came from a family, no, no believers. And to this day, I'm the only, only follower of Jesus in my family. And the great people that would give the shirts off your back type of folks, but just don't walk with the Lord. And uh, after I came to faith in college, my first summer after I came to faith, again, Canyon, Texas, I did a summer teaching English in Vietnam. And uh, it was a great experience, learned a lot. And the following summer, I did a volunteer trip to share Jesus with uh, Gulf Arab Muslims. So think of Muslims that come from Saudi Arabia, Bahrain, all the oil wealthy nation states would all flock millions of them to London for the summers because it's cooler weather, great hospitals, and fun stuff to do. And so I went and did a trip uh, one summer in London, and I share this to you as a fellow uh, non-paid staff clergy uh, member at Northbrook. We got to the end of the summer, and at the time I, was, uh, study, I studied economics, and I knew I had just landed a big gig for me with Deloitte. And I knew I was gonna be working for one of the largest consulting firms in the world. And that was kind of the path that the Lord had for me. I was really excited about it. And we get to the end of the debriefing our time together uh, for this summer volunteer trip. And everyone's kind of going around the room, sharing about uh, what the Lord's done. And everyone in the circle was uh, some version of, when I graduate, I'm going to be a youth pastor. When I graduate, I'm going off to seminary or I'm going to Bible college or I'm going to do this. And it was all full-time ministry related, which I was excited for them about, but left feeling pretty naked on, well, where do I fit in this? Um, this was a fun trip and I felt very inadequate. Like, I don't have that calling. Um, I want to be just this, just, I want to be this business person that really works with excellence and points people to Jesus. Like, is there a seat on the bus for me? And after I just shared, I was discouraged. Uh, it was just kind of like silence in the room. I think everyone was like, oh, that was weird. And the evening ends, but the team leader came up to me afterwards and he said, uh, I'll never forget. He came to me and said, you are exactly what we have been praying for and are praying for. We need people that view themselves as being sent out ones that have some profession that may be open to if the Lord is calling into a specific people or place. So don't change who you are. So my plea to you is, you may not need to change anything about how the Lord has gifted and equipped you for him to use you cross-culturally. If you're sitting there and you're thinking, I'm just a teacher, or I'm a homeschool mom, or I work for the, the federal government, or I'm an engineer, or whatever it may be, I don't really feel a tug on my heart to go to seminary or Bible college. I would challenge you. It's 
It doesn't say that anywhere in here. It's not what happened in the book of Acts. So I want to encourage you, however he's gifted and equipped you, do not let that prevent you from how the Lord may be wooing you and what he would have in store for you. So back to what does it look like for Northbrook to be a sending church? I'm just going to go over three things and then close this out. One of these we already talked about. It's all of us identifying ourselves as sent ones. Again, the Lord may put a specific calling on you to go cross-culturally, but all of us are sent ones. Every single one of us in whatever stage of life that we're in, um, everyone is included in the call to follow Jesus. The question for you is where and how, not if, in whatever season of life that you're in. So much of Acts is lay-led. I just love it. So much of it. In Acts 8.1, when the persecution is coming on the early church, it's not the big A apostles that are sent everywhere. It's the scattering of the lay people that end up going all over the nations. And we later discover that that's how the gospel went out. Uh, fervently and quickly. We read about, you know, this, if you look at Acts, the entire second half of Acts essentially is a story about how Paul feels called to go to Rome. And he goes on like this way worse journey than American Airlines sitting in DFW uh, with Jake, Randy, and Dustin, and we're delayed 10 hours. That was not his story. His story on his journey to end up at Rome had way more twists and turns. I mean, stuff that you read and you're like, there's no way that happened. And uh, he ends up getting to Rome. In Acts 28, we learn that the brothers greet him in Rome. He spends his whole journey getting there. He gets there, and there's a group of believers, how big we don't know, and they're like, hey, dude, we're so glad you could join us. The lay folks had moved on the rails of the economy. They had found themselves in Rome prior to Paul getting there. My encouragement for that is that will include some of you. Some of you sitting here right now, are the Lord is going to raise up and send out. We're going to put hands and pray and lay hands and pray, and the Holy Spirit's going to move, and you're going to be sent out to the nations. That is our desire, and it is the design of the church. Uh, so point one is, identify as a sent one. Everybody is called. Number two, Monday and through Saturday are just as important as Sunday. That's hard for me sometimes. It's, uh, we have three little kids, and I joke, like, it's, if we all are sitting down for dinner, I, I just feel like I want a gold medal at the Olympics. And I don't even know what the food is, but it's like we have somehow relived Hunger Games and we are all eating as a family at dinner. And it is great. I get that some of you in your current season of life, it's just hard to keep your nose above water. I do get that. But Monday through Saturday is just important as Sunday. We want to invite people into our lives Monday through Saturday, just as if we would invite them here to come, Lord willing, hear the gospel on a Sunday. Interesting quote from a pastor named Steve Timmis. Some of you have read some of his books. Um, he posts stuff in the Gospel Coalition from time to time. He's a pastor in the UK. He cited a recent study in which 70% of Brits said they have no intention of ever attending a church service. I mean, no. I looked at the survey. It means, would you ever go to a funeral? Would you ever go to a wedding? 70% no desire to go step into church. And as we know, as we've seen what's happened to the church in Europe, we see parts of that, whether it's big cities of the Northeast and the US, we see things culturally changing here as well. Here's an excerpt from his book. 
That means new styles of worship will not reach them. Fresh expressions of church will not reach them. Great first impressions will not reach them. Churches meeting in cool venues will not reach them. The vast majority of unchurched and dechurched people would not turn to the church, even if faced with difficult personal circumstances or in the event of a national tragedy. It is not a question of improving the product of church meetings and evangelistic events. Now, what I'm not saying here is let's not have a welcoming, inviting place. And there's far more that goes on on corporate worship than an event. We know that we come to worship through song, through the teaching of the word, practice the sacraments, praying together, encouraging one another. We know that's commanded from the scriptures. So what I'm not saying is, hey, let's bring how we hold the value and the desire for us to worship corporately on Sundays down to the rest of the days of the week. What I'm saying is the opposite. Let's raise our desire for Monday through Saturday to be lived out in a way that we would be viewed as sent ones. Do the people in your community view you as sent ones? Do they, when they look at you, do they think something different? Do they ask questions? Do they know they can come to you for truth? Or are you just another person on the neighborhood street? Are you just another person at your gym? Are you just another person at the co-op or at your work, etc.? My encouragement is let's live Monday through Saturday in a way just as important as we view Sundays. It's interesting in the book of Acts, 40 miracles are documented. 39 of them occur outside of the church. 40 miracles in the book of Acts. And I mean gnarly stuff going on, the book of Acts. Uh, and 39 of them are occurring outside of the church gathering. So again, my encouragement here is uh, viewing ourselves at the weekend is equipping us for the week. The third point. So we've got identifies a sent one, view the whole week in a holistic way, is let's support those that God is sending to the nations. Through your time, gifts, money, resources, it's all his. We, the elders realize that um, we're in a process of the Lord giving vi vision and hopefully prudent wisdom on where and how we can mobilize Northbrook to. And as he brings that salient clarity to our church, we should be prepared both now and then to view all that we have as his. Um, we want to be generous. 2 Corinthians 9, 10. And I'm not talking about just our money. I'm talking about all of it. Your giftings, uh, how he's equipped you, uh, your, your resources beyond your money. We know in 2 Corinthians 9, 10, Paul says, he who supplies seed, that's us. We're the he here. He who supplies seed to the sower, so the, the M, the planter, and bread for food will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness. All our assets and resources, all of it, are more than they first appear. Paul says that our financial resources are God-given seed for sowing. When we give generously, we sow seed in kingdom soil and expect a harvest of righteousness, as Paul would put it, in our hearts and in the hearts of others. So as I wrap, wrap up you know, our sermon, we think about, I, I said in the very beginning, if I could just have one ask of my limited time here would be us in some new facet or new way or new reflection would have a healthy God-honoring conviction, all of us, myself included, of what does it mean for me to be a sent one 
and an openness to would the Lord have us call, serve cross-culturally? Question mark. Um, there's an interesting analogy that Jesus gives in John chapter 12. And it's John 12, 20 through 26, and this is how I'll wrap us up. It says, now there were some Greeks among those who went up to worship at the festival, and they came to Philip, who was from Bethsaida in Galilee, with a request. Sir, they said, we would like to see Jesus. Philip went to tell Andrew. Andrew and Philip in turn told Jesus. Jesus replied, the hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Very truly, I tell you, unless a kernel of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it remains only a single seed. But if it dies, it produces many seeds. Anyone who loves their life will lose it, while anyone who hates their life in this world will keep it for eternal life. Whoever serves me must follow me. And where I am, my servant also will be. The Father will honor the one who serves me. That's hard for me. Uh, it's just a confession of there's so many times, either in my marriage or parenting or work or with neighbors, uh, I don't think about dying to myself. I think about what I want for myself or what can I do to get X or Y or Z. And not all the time, but that often creeps up in my heart. And Jesus is basically saying the opposite here. And it's a weird analogy, the way at least I view a seed, because Jesus uses this in the sense of the seed dies. And I I tend to view like, ah, the seed is this growing thing and turns into something else. And that's true. Um, But the analogy that Jesus uses here is that we need to die to ourselves in order that the fruit can come and blossom. Um, And as I think about us in the church, uh, something that's been a daily uh, a reminder for Ed and I and uh, for how to live. Uh, Before we met, we we had we both served in the Middle East and uh, for a few years single, and we actually ended up meeting in the Middle East a long time ago. Um, And our oldest two children were born in Jordan. And as many of you know, our, uh, our middle child, Elliot, our son, has a whole bunch of genetic issues going on and ultimately led to us coming back from the Middle East to the States. And we didn't know all that was going to happen, obviously, when he was born. And uh, bef- when, we, when we found out it was a boy, uh, we you know, were thinking through names. And there's a specific family that had a huge impact on Edna's life separately. And then still we talk about and different moments of time together. The story of Jim and Elizabeth Elliot, which is ultimately the name that we got for our, our son, Elliot. Uh, a story of some missionaries in the 1950s that found themselves in Ecuador. And skip through a bunch of details, but uh, the church planning team, the men, the, the initial startup team, were all martyred, uh, speared and all martyred uh, uh, on one of their trips into Ecuador. And through that, ultimately, there a great fruit came and uh, it's a great story. Elizabeth Elliot's written several books, and there's even a couple movies that talk about her life. It's a fantastic story. I encourage you to look into their story if you, haven't, if you, if you don't know about it. But Jim Elliot has a famous quote in How I'll End Us today. And it hits me every time and often as we're caring for Elliot, who has so many needs, so many needs going on. Jim Elliot said, he is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. And say that again. 
He is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. And so my charge for us as we view ourselves as sent ones and maybe being sent out cross-culturally as Acts 13 showed is that our lives are lived, I think, in chapters. We have different seasons. Some of you are single here and praying for a spouse. Some of you are married and uh, just had your first kid or second kid or desiring kids. So you, you're, you're in that season of Lord of the Flies, Hunger Games. You know, Ed and I joke, was it shower day today? I don't know, maybe. Um, some of you, you have kids that are going off or in high school or more independent or junior high or headed off to college. And you're kind of on the verge of, we did it, you know, and you're ready to celebrate. Others, you're sitting here, maybe you have grandkids and you think, this is the season we worked so hard for. We get to pick them up and drop them back off. And my encouragement to you is whatever season of life, whatever chapter you're in, that you would evaluate what would the Lord have you for having a sentness about you. Your DNA as you leave, believing, feeling, identifying as a sent one, and then an openness as we as elders plow forward and providing a vision for missions and opportunity and global ways to be engaged. Is that for you? Would it be for you? What would it look like to give a week of your PTO to go on a mission trip? What would it look like to give some money that you set aside for vacation to take one of your kids somewhere? What would it look like if each, each week your community group uh, met that you began praying for the nations? How would that transform us for, from an outflow from the gospel? So we're all in different chapters and in different seasons, and the gospel calls all of us to live sent lives. The question is where and how, not if. I'm gonna close this in a word of prayer and Randy's gonna come up and lead us, or Jake, come up and lead us through uh, uh, the Lord's Supper. And I did, I did wanna, I'll say one more thing on a personal note. My wife, Edna, couldn't be here and the kiddos, we were, uh, we did flu shots yesterday. Uh, my, my, it's, it's a point of contention. My wife thinks it's like the secret sauce serum to prevent flu. I believe you end up getting it. It's, we're like 50-50 on the fence. Sure enough, uh, a couple of our kids just didn't sleep very well through the night. So unfortunately, she wouldn't be able to make it. But I'm saying this, I'd say this if she was here. And I meant to lead with this, but I just forgot because she wasn't she wouldn't here. Uh, I'm just so grateful for my family. I know many of you who are uh, lay volunteers, lay leaders, giving your bandwidth. My wife has just been an absolute gift and constant in me serving as an elder. Uh, I wish you were here for me to thank her in person, but she is a rock. She, if you know Edna, the highs aren't too high, the lows aren't too low, and she is a constant plotter with her faith. Uh, in a daily really reminder to me of us being refined and pruned um, from one glory to the next, a sanctifying woman. And I'm just so grateful for her as I've served as an elder for over the last five or six years now. Um, I do think we're gonna have a little get together this uh, afternoon at our house. And those are welcome to come. Uh, I was joking with Randy earlier, gonna have uh, goggles, like when you see at the NBA finals afterwards, We've just got a whole bunch of bottles of champagne. We're just going to like shake them up and spray them all over for my last uh, day as an elder. But I did want to say just so grateful for Edna 
um, even though she can't be here. She's such a gift. So as you see her, I encourage you to encourage her as we enter into a a new season for us. So let me close in prayer. Lord, uh, so grateful for you and your word and pray for Acts 13 type of movement in Northbrook. Uh, Lord, would you move? Would we believe that your Holy Spirit is on the move? Um, Would we trust that you are calling people, that we're all sent ones and you're calling some of us out to be sent among the nations to take the gospel to places that it is not? Uh, Lord, would we live in a way that we have a sentness about us, that when people see us, when they know us, they know that we are different, um, that we are pointing everything to you, Lord, Would you encourage us today, convict our hearts, but bring encouragement and remind us that just as James 5 says that you give wisdom and give it generously for us. And you say without reproach, meaning you don't look at all the ways we've messed up and then decide on how much uh, wisdom to give. You give the wisdom on our faith. And so we can come before you today, regardless of what's happened in the past, and ask you to give us wisdom as a church, as elders, and as members, what would you have for us? And I pray all of this in the name of Jesus. Amen.